desire this evening. God bless you. Welcome into the house of the Lord tonight. We're happy to see each and every one of you here with us. And why don't we just sing together, I claim the blood that was shed on Calvary, those precious bloodstains. And if you come expecting, you know that God has a thought for the service. And when you really think about that, you're just praying in the study. It's not just a Wednesday night. God has an eternal thought for right now, for tonight, for you. And that's amazing. Amen. Let's sing this together as we just prepare our hearts for the ministering of the word. I have a source oh, of strength when I am weak that takes me through when life is pressing me.
It's already been paid for, my brother, my sister. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of our Lord. Amen.
Amen. Brother Maxwell, it's good to have you here with us. Your family all the way from Ireland, God bless you. It's good to have you here. Maybe, Brother Max, you would come and open the service for us in a word of prayer, if you would. We do have a couple prayer requests. A sister from Edmonton sent a message asking that we would please pray for uh, her, her grandnephew, I believe it was, little little boy by the name of uh, Moses Hart. He's just in the hospital now with his lungs filled with fluid. And she said the Lord has intervened several times before. And this time it's, it's very serious. I'm just asking the Lord would intervene once more and just grant the child a full healing this evening. And also our sister Barb Drake has a request. Please pray for my cousin Steve Golder. He had a heart valve replacement today. He's unable to take pain medications and he's in a great deal of pain. Just asking that we would remember him tonight. And if there's a need on your heart, you can just lift it before the Lord, Brother Max, if you would come, please, and open the service for us. Bless you, greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do bring greetings from Edmonton. And uh, so glad to be here to fellowship with you this evening. Amen. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Let's bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we gratefulness in heart, Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord God. For the Lord, as we sang the songs already done, Lord God. For the, that day on the cross when you said it is finished, your Lord, it was already done, Lord God. And Father, we believe this evening, Lord, as we've come together, oh Lord God, we've come under the shed below the Lord. And Father, we know that all things are possible this evening, oh God. Lord, you know the God that is limited by time or by day, oh Lord God. But you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, oh God. So, Father, Lord, this evening, Lord, we just want to make you welcome in this building, oh God. Not only with this building, oh Lord, of four walls, oh Lord, but he's building made of clay, oh Lord. The Father, you may have the preeminence in your people, oh God. The Father, Lord, you want to be, oh Lord, a speaker this evening, but you be the hearer also, oh God. The Father, ask your word to go for the Lord God and strike the seed of your place within us, O oh God. Father, we pray may you be quickened, O Lord God, and make, O Lord, your word alive in our lives, O God. Father, I want to yield and commit ourselves to you, O God. We want to surrender the service, Lord, into your hands, O Lord. Lord, may you take full control, Lord, this evening, O God. May you take control of the song service as we worship you, O God. May you move in a sovereign way, O God, Lord. Father, we know there is a day when David will play his strengths, O Lord. And the evil spirit will depart, Lord, we pray this evening, O God. As the string have been played, or the song have been sung, O God. Oh Lord, may every evil spirit depart from this place of God. Whether it be sickness, O oh Lord God. Whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety, O oh God. Father, we pray, O oh Lord, O oh God, that every enemy be bound, O oh Lord, Father. The Lord, your spirit may move with free, O oh Lord, and mistress, O oh God. And you may have the liberty of mistress, your bride, O oh Lord, God, this evening. Father, we ask as you would, Lord, may you anoint your servant of God. As you bring the word forth, O oh Lord, we ask that you use them in a mighty way, O oh God. You are the discern of the thoughts and intents of man, O oh God. God. Father, we ask this evening you discern the thoughts and intents of your children, O Father. Lord, you've sent the request to lay here, O Lord, our brother Moses, O God. This little boy, O Lord, the enemy is trying to reflect, O Lord God. Lord, you are the healer, O Father, Lord God. And Father, we ask the Lord you will move on the scene, O Lord, this evening, O God. Father, 
God, we don't know where he's at, but you know where he's at, oh God. You created him, oh Lord God. You made every Lord organ in his body, oh Lord. So we ask this evening, Lord, in your own grace and mind away, Lord. Won't you touch Moses, oh Lord God? Won't you raise him up, oh Father? For Lord, not in a hard for you, oh God. You are the God of the impossible, oh Father. You are the unchanging, oh God. So we ask you have your way in his life, oh Father. Though we pray for the other request that was here, oh God. Father, you know our sister's name, oh Lord. We ask the Lord, Father, you touch her also, oh Lord, in a supernatural way, oh Lord God. May you be the one to raise her up, oh Lord Father. Lord, we look to you this evening, oh God. May our own thoughts be out of the way, oh God. And may we receive your thoughts, oh Lord God. Lord, may you move, oh Lord, in a sovereign way, oh God. May you have the preeminence, oh Lord God. Father, we don't want to see any man. We want to see Jesus, oh God. Lord, may Jesus have the preeminence, oh Father. Lord, we just want to say we love you and we thank you for your goodness, oh Lord. We ask your blessing upon the church, oh Lord God. Upon the ministry here, Lord, may you bless your people, Lord God. Every office in this place, Lord, may you bless it, oh Father, oh God. And Lord, may you prosper your church, oh Lord God. And may you continue to be, oh Lord, the lead and the guide and the head of the church, oh Lord. We come at all times to you, oh Lord, Father. As we ask all this in the blessed name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You may have your seats. God bless you. Amen. We're going to invite our brother Jean to come at this time. We're going to sing in Christ alone. I hope is found. It's a very special day. I get to have my wife and my son in church today. It's <laughs> been a long time. We're very grateful to be, all be here together once again. So God is good. Amen. Are you ready for the word tonight? Amen. We just have a wonderful atmosphere already. We just want the Lord to have his liberty now. So we'll have our brother Jean come as we sing this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Yes, he is my life, my strength, my song. Yeah. 
Glad all the world by darkness slain. I remember when when I got baptized here, uh, I believe 2013, it was 2012. And I remember going back to SFU and walking in the dorms and listening to this song. And then this 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 verse here just so struck me. Especially when it says, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. I realized that day when I came out of those waters, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. That I was free, I was no longer a slave. I didn't have to bow down to, the, to Satan, to the devil. The grips of sin were removed from me. I was no longer under the dominion of sin. That I, I could rule over sin. My, what a day that was. Let's see now once more, Brother Ryan, if you can help me with that verse. There in the ground, his body Father, what an atmosphere in your house tonight, Lord. Father, it's good to sing the song of Zion, Lord, to remember what Christ did for us, Lord. Father, if it wasn't for that glorious sacrifice of Calvary, Lord, that blood that was shed, we wouldn't be here tonight, Lord. We wouldn't have a gospel to preach if it wasn't for the blood, Lord God. You made a way for us to be restored back in fellowship with God. And Lord, here we are standing as sons and daughters of God, having fellowship, having a relationship with you, O God. The chasm that was created by sin between Adam and God was closed by the blood. And now we can have fellowship with you once more. Lord, we've come tonight to hear your word. I pray, O God, that you take your word and inspire it, Lord. Anoint your word and minister to our souls, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And let's turn to the word. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, Brother Ryan. Wonderful atmosphere tonight. Let's turn into the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Verse 22 to 24. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. See, in verse 23 it says, we have come to God the judge, but 24 says, and to Jesus the mediator. We've come to the judge, we've come to the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things. Than that of Abel. Let's turn to John chapter 5 as well before you have your seats. Verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but have committed all judgment unto the Son. Man, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we read, you read your word, Lord. Inspired. Men will move of God, Lord, to pen on these words, Lord. 
the father your prophet told us no man has a right to give his own interpretation of the word only god can interpret his own word so we pray oh god that you take the scriptures which we have read in the new testament lord Make it alive that we can see in this day how it pertains to us, Lord, and what it means for us in this day. That we can go back home loving you more, Lord. It's always my prayer, Father, that as we leave this place, we will love you more. And then we have a better walk with you, Lord, for you are the center of our lives. And that's the purpose of our coming into the house of God, is to hear more about you and to hear what the word says about us. And then our relationship will be so improved till we become so much like you, Lord. That's our desire tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we now commit ourselves into your hands for the glory of God. Amen. You may be seated. I see Brother Cal there. God bless you, Brother Cal. I was just talking to him a few days ago, and he didn't even tell me he was coming. It's such a surprise. I see my friend here, Brother Neville. God bless you. Brother Maxwell, it's good to have you here. Well... Let's go into the word. You know, sometimes you, personally, sometimes I come to the pulpit and I feel like I have too much. And sometimes I feel like I don't have enough. And now I feel like a combination of both. So I, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be. Not more than four hours. <laughs> I'd like to speak to you on the subject that I've been pointing on for three to four weeks now before camp. And, and Brother Tom started touching on this on Sunday, and I was getting very nervous. So if I repeat some of the things you've already heard, it's just the Holy Spirit. I'd like to take for a title, Ye have come to the Supreme Court. Ye have come to the Supreme Court. And I, I to be able to, to bring what God deposited in my heart, the burning that I have tonight, is that I'm going to have to, to take a judicial or a legal approach to, to redemption. And I'm not talking about, you know, law as, as you know it in, in, in a natural life. I'm talking about God's law. So I'm going to have to build here a, a legal framework to show redemption and to show where I want to go tonight here to the Supreme Court, to end at the Supreme Court. So God, we know God is the judge. As we heard, we have come to God, the judge of all. And God is the creator of the universe. As Brother Tim mentioned, he's the infinite God. And God placed laws into nature. And he has, you know, there's laws of physics and there's laws that he put in nature. And then he created a man and he gave him the law. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the, in the Garden of Eden. He gave him a law and said, you can eat all the fruits except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this fruit, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So then God takes a, a, a legal approach here with how he's going to deal with Adam. He says, I put you on the earth, first of all, to have dominion and then to rule. So God placed all things un- under Adam's feet. Brother Adam says this, he says that Adam led the animals like the Holy Spirit leads the church. So Adam was the governor or the judge or the ruler of the earth. And now above Adam, there was a ruler of all things, which was God, the judge or the supreme judge, ruler of everything. And he gave man dominion on his own domain. So he placed Adam on earth to be God on the earth, to be the ruler of the earth, to be judge on the earth, right? But he tells Adam, you can eat of everything except, because the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Now, that is a law because there's a penalty attached to it. So um, if you break the law, there's going to be a penalty. With that penalty, there's no law. So if God had just told Adam, don't do this, it's just an instruction. But when he introduces a consequence, 
that becomes a law. Because what makes law law is that there's a penalty. So now he tells Adam, the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And we know what happened, that Adam broke the law. Right? And Satan comes in the form of the serpent and starts talking to Eve and says, well, God knows that if you eat of this tree, you will become wise like him. Right? What is he telling Eve? He's telling Eve that you're missing out on something. He's saying there's more than what you have. So God is trying to hinder you from having more. There's certain things that God has he's keeping to himself. But if you eat of this tree, you will have more. You're missing out. Or in a sense, he was right because Eve was missing out on sickness. She was missing out on sin. She was missing out on getting old. She was missing out on pain and sickness. So yeah, she was missing out on something, but not what the devil was saying. And that's a lie that the devil tells people today, even young people. He says, you're missing out. You know, by being in church, you're missing out on the world. Go have a little bit of fun. Go and party. You're missing out. He's right. You're missing out on, on pain, on heartbreaks, on scars. That's what you're missing out on. Not on his last. And God is keeping you safe from all those things. So don't let the devil lie to you like he did Eve. You're not missing out on what he's telling you. You're missing out on what God is keeping you from. You're safer behind the word than you are out there. Now, the scripture contains a lot of legal terms. We talk about inheritance. That's legal. We talk about redemption. That's a legal aspect of redemption is that it means to buy back something. It's to acquire, to buy back a property in the root word. That's what redemption is. Then, you know, Moses comes and introduces laws. And God has kings and kingdoms where there's rules. And rulership. Now we talk about marriage, which is a covenant, it's a contract, it's also legal. And when Adam fell in the garden, Brother Adam says he forfeited his rights. Forfeited is also a legal term. So there's a lot of things in the scriptures here that I'm going to attempt to bring to you tonight. Is to show you a legal aspect of sin, the legal aspect of redemption, and the legal aspect of your rights. Because my point tonight is to show you that you have a legal right. And for me to show you that you have a legal right, I have to show you where those rights were first lost. Okay? Now, redemption simply means to purchase back or to buy back a property, right? In Bible days, lands and slaves and, and other things could be redeemed by paying a price. And now the one who redeems is a kinsman redeemer, right? It's the next of kin. It's somebody who can buy back or take back the property for a king. So when we talk about buying property... We're, or, or redeeming property, we're talking about property law. Right? In other words, real estate. And real estate here means that when you buy a property, there's going to be a deed. A title deed. So when Brother Adam is talking about a title deed, there's a reason why he's talking about a title deed. Because it directly involves redemption. Because when you buy something back, you get a title. Now, to judge, we're talking about coming to the Supreme Court. So we're talking about God being the Supreme Judge here. To judge, by definition, is to form an opinion about something through careful weighing of evidence and testing premises. It's to determine or to pronounce after an inquiry and deliberation. It's to give an authoritative opinion about something. So when we talk about judgment, sometimes we have a very negative connotation to the word judgment. We think the judgment is something bad. Or judgment can be good or bad. Because judgment is the act of deliberating. The act of weighing evidence. It's the act of seeing something 
gathering information and facts and coming to a conclusion. So judgment can be positive, right? So or judgment can be negative. So when we talk about coming to to judgment, it doesn't mean necessarily it's negative. It means that there's a verdict that's been pronounced based on careful examination of evidence. So. In the, in the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible here, we talk about the judge is one who restores life. Because the goal of the judge is to be one that rules or brings a pleasant and righteous life to the people. This can also mean to be a deliverer. So if something was done to you, something wrong was done to you and you came to the judge, and the judge will, will, wrong, will right that wrong. So the judge will be to you a deliverer because you pronounce a, ver- a verdict in your favor. So it's one who restores to your life. That's what the original the word judge is. And in Genesis chapter 30, verse 6, it says, And Rachel said, God has judged and vindicated me, and has heard my plea, and has given me a son. So she named him Dan, which means he judged. So this judgment of God wasn't negative, right? It's that God saw Rachel, and he judged her. And he vindicated her, and according to his judgment, the verdict of the judgment was, I will give you a son. So in legal terms, when judgment is exercised, there's a party that benefits from the judgment, and there's a party that will experience the consequences of the said judgment. So for example, if you go to court because you're accused of something, and after careful examination of evidence, the judge, the judge found that you were innocent, well, he pronounces a verdict or the judgment that you are innocent. Now, you benefit from that judgment, right? But the person who falsely accused you will have to face consequences for giving false testimony, whatever the fine of that penalty might be. So judgment benefits you on one end, on one party, but on the other end, it's detrimental to the other person. So there's two aspects to judgment. And now, when we talk about when we talk about the bride not having to come to judgment, we're talking about the white throne judgment. So this bride, the bride of Jesus Christ, you you will not appear before the white throne judgment. But we are judged every day. The scripture says judgment begins in the house of God. This is the house of God where we are judged. And the judge judges according to the book of the law. So according to the word of God, every single service, we're facing supreme judgment. It's that God is pronouncing his judgment based on his word. And we're looking, are we conformed to the word or not? And then we desire to be more like the word. More like the word. and More like the word. That's why we come to the house of God to be judged. See, all of us will have to be judged. Bride and no bride, everybody will be judged. But some will be judged now. And some will be judged then. So you have to choose when do you want to be judged. I choose now. By coming in the house of God, by facing the word of God, and by looking, the scripture says, we all with open face, we behold the glory of the Lord like unto a mirror, and we are transformed into the same image, from glory to glory. So we take the word of God, and we judge ourselves. Paul says, examine yourself. So we look at our lives. Is our lives worthy of the gospel? We come to the house of God so that the word can judge us now. Because by accepting the judgment now, we won't have to be judged then. 
But some don't want to face the word of God now. They don't want to be judged. Nobody is my judge. I'll do whatever I want. Fine. Don't be judged now. But one of these days, you will stand before the right throne and you'll be judged then. And when you stand then, there's no more mercy. So mercy is now. So take the judgment now. I love being judged by the word. Preach the word to me. You tell me what I ought to become. Judge me by the word. Don't compromise. You're not going to hurt my feelings by telling me why I'm wrong. Judge me by the word. Because I want to be like him. Judge me by the word. Don't worry about my feelings. Even if my feelings get hurt a little bit. I want to be judged now. Because I don't want to face judgment then. I pray every day, Lord, show me why I'm wrong. Help me. Reveal to me what I must make right. I don't want to have sin follow me then. I want to put all my sins under the blood now. I want to take God's judgment now. I want to be confirmed to His image now. Now the Bible frequently and clearly says that God is a supreme and righteous judge. In Hebrews 12, 23, where we read, it says, We have come to God, the judge of all. In Genesis 18, 25, it says, Judge, it talks about God, it says, God is the judge of all the earth. In Hebrew, Shafat means to pronounce a sentence. God is the one who pronounces verdict. In Psalms 58, 11, it says, God that judgeth in the earth. In Acts 10, 42, talking about Jesus Christ, it says, He's the judge of the quick and the dead. In Jeremiah 9.24, it says, I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. First Peter 2 verse 23 says, He that judgeth righteously. Second Timothy 4.8, God is the righteous judge. In Psalm 75 verse 7, in Acts 10.42, in James 5.9, God is the judge. Judge, judge, judge. The scripture clearly states over and over again that God is judge. Which means he's a ruler. Which means his opinion or his verdict is what matters. It doesn't matter what people say. What matters is what God says. So now back to Genesis. We see that God came down in the Garden of Eden in the evening because Adam broke the covenant. But what I'm saying is there was also two covenants given to the people. We're going to speak on them in the morning. One of them was given to Adam on condition. If you do this and don't do that, but the law was broken, Adam and Eve broke that in the Garden of Eden. So God told Adam, the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And then Adam broke the covenant. So what is God the judge supposed to do? So as a true judge, he's supposed to come down and start a court trial. Assess the evidence and then pronounce the verdict. That's what you do. If you found that you broke the law and you went to court and you will stand before the judge and the judge will gather the elements or the evidence against you and based on the evidence, he will pronounce a judgment. He will say, according to the evidence, I don't see why you should be condemned because the evidence is not sufficient to condemn you. You're free. Judgment. Or he will say, according to the evidence, beyond a reasonable doubt, you're guilty. Right? So when the law is broken, we have to face the judge. Now, by breaking the law, the Garden of Eden becomes a scene where a crime has been committed. In legal terms, we call that a crime scene. 
So a crime scene is any location that is associated with a committed crime. And everything that I have a point in saying all this, and everything that occurs during the analysis of a crime scene must be documented. And it is the job of the initial responding officer to make sure that the scene has an extremely coherent and summarized documentation. The documentation should include the officer's observations and actions while at the scene. So when there's a crime scene, well, let's say, you know, something happened, a crime, was, a, a crime was committed in a place, let's say in a room, somebody was killed, well, the responding officer comes and he begins to document every single thing he finds in that crime scene. Right? And then he starts talking to witnesses. What have you seen? What happened? He starts documenting everything because a verdict has to be pronounced and an investigation has to be made so that the judge can rule on what happened in that crime scene based on the collective documentation. Correct? So the initial responding officer is in charge to document the appearance of the scene and he will also gather statements from the witnesses, the victims, and the possible suspects. So, see, in the Garden of Eden, there was a victim, and there was a possible suspect. So, when God came down in the Garden of Eden, and a crime was committed, the law was broken, the responding officer comes down in the cool of the evening, and begins to gather evidence. And he begins to gather statements from witnesses. Adam, you were there, what happened? Or the, the woman gave me the fruit. Okay, Eve, what happened? The serpent, a possible suspect. Right? So he begins to gather all this evidence because he's about to pronounce a judgment. So several documents are generated to preserve the integrity of the crime scene. And then the responding officer will set up a blockade to control movement in and out of the crime scene. Because you don't want anything to be contaminated in the crime scene. And they will put a perimeter, right? A perimeter will be taped off with barricades. To prevent people from going where the crime was committed. So when God comes, and after he gathers all the evidence in the Garden of Eden, and he takes statements from Adam, he takes statements from Eve, he takes statements from the serpent, what does he do? He put cherubs with flaming swords barricading the crime scene. Okay? Now, he comes down and gathers all those documents, and upon investigation, he finds the serpent guilty. Pronounces your curse. He finds a woman guilty. Pronounces a curse. He finds a man guilty. Pronounces a curse. Now, let me just add this here. Is that people who don't see serpent see. Let me just help you a little bit. Now, in, in, in this crime scene, uh, I do, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I took criminology at SFU. So I have a little bit of a background here. And... In a crime scene, by observing elements that you find in a crime scene, you can have an idea of what took place. If you're going to a crime scene and you see blood and you see a knife and you see broken glass, you can have an idea. There was a struggle. A glass was broken. There was a, somebody was stabbed with a knife because I see the bleeding knife, right? So you can see, based on the evidence, you can have a good idea. Even if you're not 100% accurate, you can have an idea of the nature of the crime. Correct? Very simple. When I walk, when I go home and I open the door and I smell something. Oh, what does that smell like? And I go in the kitchen and I see eggshells and I see flour and I see yeast and I see this. I know that somebody baked something. 
it's evident to me. Because the elements are indicating the nature of what might have transpired. I may not know if it was bread. I may not know exactly what was baked. But I can tell you based on the evidence, somebody baked something. But when I look at the evidence in Genesis 3, I can tell you what type of sin took place. Because now I'm, I'm looking at the evidence, I'm seeing I will increase your, your, your labor in childbearing. Right? And your desire shall be towards your husband. And then your seed will crush the seed of the serpent. Well, now based on all this evidence, sin, childbearing, pain, birth pain, and all those things, I have an idea of t- what type of crime took place in that crime scene. So when you read Genesis 3, how do you not see that what took place was of a sexual nature? Look at the keywords. Look at the elements of the crime scene. Look at the evidence that's gathered. It's telling us something took place that involved seed. Something took place that involved conception. Something took place that involved desires. What took place? Eating the fruit? Sure. Now, there's a trial in the Garden of Eden. Evidence is gathered. God pronounces his judgment. And now, in, 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 um, in legal terms here, sometimes in the case, in a high-profile case, based on the sensitivity of the case, records can be sealed. So all the documents pertaining to the case can be sealed. Because we don't want anybody to hear about it. We don't want anybody to know the details of it. So after the proceedings, God starts to seal records. So the original sin becomes sealed. We don't know exactly what happens. He's sealed the records. Now, Adam, in this act, forfeited his rights. His title deed. Now, Bible says that the title deed could not go in the hands of Satan because he wasn't the original owner. So the title deed goes back in the hands of God. And later on in Revelation chapter 5, that title deed is sealed. But here's what... Is the love and the grace of God. Now God when he loved Adam and Eve so much. That he had to first shed blood. Before there could be judgment. Judgment was death. Something had to die in their stead. And then they could stand then in his presence. See. Eve listened to Satan. And he whitewashed the word over. And they disbelieved the word. And the word became God's judgment. So God judges by the word. Now, this word, the word of God, would judge every person. God so loved his fallen creatures that he provided a preparation to stand them in his presence before judgment. God went and killed sheep or animals, put skins on them, and covered them up, and blood was first made before judgment. Now, the supreme judge comes in the Garden of Eden. Where a crime has been committed, where a law has been broken, and he's about to pronounce the verdict, he's about to pronounce his ruling, he's about to judge. But before he begins to judge, he sheds blood. Before judgment, he comes and pleads. Before judgment, before exercising his attribute of judge, he exercises his attribute of an advocate. Also known as an attorney. So before the judge could speak, the attorney spoke. Why? Because the judge of heaven and earth became the attorney of Adam and Eve. 
So before he could pronounce the sentence and the judgment, the judge became attorney. And as the attorney, he provides the sacrifice, sheds the blood. Now, Brabham says this. Now, when sin entered, and when they had seen before that he could even pass judgment, he had to kill an innocent lamb. Before there was even a judgment, he had already provided mercy. That's why the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Adam didn't even know this. Before he even fell, in God's mind, he had already provided an atonement. He had already shed the blood. See, when the judge comes in Genesis 3, he becomes the attorney. Right about says this. If you had committed a crime, and you're going to be tried in the federal court, and then you know that you were found guilty and you're going to die, you're going to go to the electric chair or the gas chamber or whatever public execution they're going to have for you, maybe hung you, it said, whatever the penalty was, now you are guilty, you know you're guilty, and you must die if you don't get some attorney to represent you that can, who can get you out of the thing. And now you would want the best attorney you could find. And then getting an attorney that was good, a shrewd attorney, you will feel that your case was a little bit, you could relax a little bit, right? But he says, there will still be a question whether this attorney could change the judge's idea or change the jury. So if this attorney with his shrewd speaking, knowing the laws, could change that and you could plead your case and prove that you should leave, but yet in all this great authority and the great speech that he could make, and an impression you could put upon the jury or the judge, you might get relaxed for a few minutes, but still, there will be a question in your mind, can he do it? Right? So if you're facing judgment, and you know you're guilty, man, you will look for the best attorney you can find to plead your case. But even after you get the best of the best of the best, there will still be a question, can he pull it off? Can he do it? So you'll be relaxed a little bit, knowing that you had the best attorney, but you wouldn't have perfect peace of mind because you wouldn't know for sure. Now, this is you and I, right? Now, the brother of says this, but in this case, in your case, in this case, the judge himself becomes your attorney. The judge himself becomes the attorney. Now, it doesn't make you just a little bit relaxed. It makes you completely relaxed. That's what the prophet says. The token makes you so relaxed. Because by having the token, you know that the judge is now your attorney. So you're 100% certain that if the man who has my life in his hand is the same who's going to plead for me, I'm free. I'm free. I can rejoice. I know it's going to be all right. No, there's no doubt in my mind. Can he do it? No, there's no doubt because the one who's going to pronounce the judgment is the same who's defending me. That's you and me. Your judge. Your judge. He didn't hire another attorney. He didn't find the best of the best attorneys. He took it upon himself to become your attorney and satisfy his own law. That makes you so relaxed. You can be relaxed tonight because your judge is now your attorney. 
Let me say this to you, Christian friend. Our attorney is also our judge. Our judge became our attorney. The case is settled when we receive his pardon. Now, pardon is only pardon if it's accepted as pardon. Right? Accept the pardon in word, which was provided for you. That's why we sing, right? You are free, you are free, you are free. You've got to accept the pardon in word. So here is the problem with many Christians. Is that they find it so hard to accept what God has done for them. Salvation is a free gift. Is it your doing? No. It's what he did. All he's asking you to do is to accept what he did. Not to reason with it. Not to look at why it shouldn't be. It's to accept what he did. See, as human beings, we love to operate on the basis of merit. Right? We were taught that at school. You work hard, you get a good grade. Your parents tell you that. Do your chores, I'll give you money. Do this, do this. Because we are raised as human beings to have a sense of achievement. I work hard, therefore I should be paid this much. It's based on merit. There's an interesting sense of merit. We want to do something to feel like we deserve what we get. Nobody complains and says, man, they pay me $20,000, $50,000 a year and I only work one day. Nobody complains, right? Because people want to feel that they deserve what they have. Not so with God. Not so with God. That is a carnal way of thinking. Then when we come to God, we want to do something. Maybe I should pray a lot. Maybe I should listen to a lot of tapes. Maybe I should be early to church. All those things are good. But we begin to rely on our works because we want to feel that we deserve something. That God, I gave up all this. I gave up all that. I gave up all this. Now give me the Holy Ghost because I feel that I deserve it. No. Your works mean nothing to God. God doesn't want your works. It's like a man who's guilty standing before the judge and saying, I'm going to plead my own case. Brother Bible tells that story, he says, your record is what condemns you. How can you plead your own case? Your record is what condemns you. So let the judge become your attorney and take his word when he tells you, I've done it. I paid the price. Don't worry about it. Look, what more should I do? Nothing. I want to help you a little bit. I don't need your help. But can I do it? You don't need to do anything. I've taken upon myself to do all things for you. All you need to do is accept what I've done. Healing, accept what he's done. That's what it is. It's not to feel that I've listened to a lot of tapes. I think I understand faith really well. No, I feel like I should get my healing now. Accept what he did. That's all he needs. Accept what he did. You want to be free from from, from depression? Accept what he did. Yeah, EBA, you want those optical nerves to be quickened? Accept what he did. It's not about how much you shout, how much you pray, how much you jump. It's how much can you believe what he already did for you? You want the Holy Ghost? Accept what he did. 2,000 years ago at Calvary, accept what he did. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to that cross I cling. All rock of ages clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's all. Nothing in your works. It's not about what you can do or what you can demonstrate. It's how much you can believe and relax. The token makes you so relaxed. We can relax in the promises of God. It's not what we did. It's what he already did for us.
if it was based on merits and works, you will never have peace. Because there will always be a question whether your works are enough. Always. If you're about how much, how many hours you pray a day, you ask yourself that day, maybe I should have prayed 10 instead of 9. Right? This is always going to be a question. If it was about how much money you give, you ask yourself, maybe I should have given a thousand instead of five hundred. There's always going to be a question if it's based on your works. But if it's based on his works, it is finished. There's no questions about it. You can be relaxed. That's why the Holy Ghost is what? Rest. Rest. There's a rest for the weary. Where we can cease from all our works. Why are we resting? Because we're resting in what he did. I don't have to work something out. I can rest. I can be totally relaxed based on what he did. So the judge himself came down and became the attorney. Since the attorney and the judge is the same person, God became man. Says, praise our God. He deserves all the praises. Our judge and our attorney is the same person. Now, if you want and got an attorney, there is something that's called client attorney privilege. Which means everything you and the attorney discussed is secret. Can never be used against you. You can tell the attorney, yes, I killed that man. The attorney cannot stand for the justice. My client killed that man. He can't do it because he'll be breaking privilege. Even if you're guilty and you confess to the attorney all your sins, the attorney is bound by a client attorney privilege. He cannot tell anybody about what you confess to him. For I know in whom I believe and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. If you enter in a client attorney relationship with Jesus Christ, he can never testify against you. You can tell him all your sins. He's going to take your sins and put it under the blood. Because there's no record. The attorney has entered in a relationship with you. He's bound by a client attorney privilege. See? That's your privilege. That's your privilege, Jonas. That's your privilege. You have the privilege to tell Jesus all things. You can tell him all your sins. You can tell him all your fears. You can tell him all your complexes. He will never use it against you. He is your attorney. Jesus is a safe place. You can tell him all your sins. Why live in sin? Why live in sin? You tell him, Lord, I'm sorry. I did this. I can't tell this brother Tom. I can't tell this brother John. But I can tell you. Because you're my attorney. You will never use it against me. You can confess all your sins. Because he's going to put it out of the blood. The judge became your attorney. And you've entered in a client attorney relationship. Where everything that you confess can never be used against you. It's gone. Gone. My sins are gone. Praise God, my sins are gone. You ask me why I'm happy? So I will just tell you this. Praise God, my sins are gone. How are your sins gone? The judge became the attorney. Your sins are gone. So why? Why have unconfessed sin? Why? Why won't you confess your sin? Why? What hinders you from making things right with God? Knowing that he will never use it against you. Never. 
He's your attorney. He can't stand before the judge and say, Margaret, confess this to me. He can't bring it up. Now, it gets better. See? Attorney-client privilege because he's your attorney. Now, if the one who is your attorney is also your husband, if you marry him, now you enter into spousal privilege. Which means that husband and wife cannot testify against each other in court. If you marry Jesus Christ and you become his bride, he becomes your husband. Not only is he your attorney, but he's your husband. You are protected by a double privilege. He cannot testify as your attorney and he cannot testify as your husband. You got a double protection, but you got to enter into relationships. Yeah? You have to accept the judge as your attorney and you have to accept him as your husband. Then you are protected by two legal privilege. Right? Victor, you can't testify against Sarah. Sarah can testify against you. You are both protected by spousal privilege. This is why the bride will not be judged. She will not appear before the right throne judgment. The judge is her husband. He cannot break privilege. Now, this statement of the judge becoming the attorney is what started this whole service. I began to ponder on that, the judge becoming our attorney. And he makes that statement in the token. Then I began to look at the message. Where else does he say that? Say that in the token. First time he preaches it, he says it in the token. Second time he preaches it, he says it in the token. The third time, he doesn't say it anywhere else. It's like, why? That's strange. And something began to speak to me and say, it's a token time, a token time that the judge is the attorney. He said, token time. I realized it's in the evening time. When the judge came in the cool of the evening of the Garden of Eden. When the judge came, he became the attorney and he gave Adam and Eve the blood. He gave them a token. The blood will be unto thee a token. I was like, okay, okay, I see that. Now in Exodus chapter 12, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. Mercy. In Exodus chapter 12, he told the children of Israel, you will take a lamp. Right? I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, evening time, token time. I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. So God is coming in Goshen, in Israel, he said in Egypt, I'm going to execute judgment. I'm going to come and judge all the firstborn. But you, take a lamp. Apply the token. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. What is he saying? At evening time, the judge comes down to judge, but to the children of Israel, he's their attorney. He says, if you put the blood, I'm not going to judge you. I will pass. See, at talking time, the judge becomes the attorney. Now I began to see, okay, now at Jericho, the two spies that went to Rahab, they're going to spy the land because God was about to judge Jericho. But to Rahab, to Rahab, she gave, they gave her a token. So instead of being her judge, they became her attorney. And then they gave her a token. At evening time, the judge becomes your attorney. Now this we have to read. Genesis 38. Now this is Judah coming to Tamar. 
And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. Verse 16. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? He said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. He promised her something. And says, and then she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? What is a pledge? A token. An insign. A sign. Tamara is saying, until you send me what you've promised, I need a token as a down payment that the rest of what you promised will come. Right? And now, it came to pass, verse 24, three months after, that it was told to Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by wardom. Oh my. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Now Judah is about to pronounce judgment on Tamar. Because he's the head of the tribe. He's the supreme judge of the tribe of Judah. There's nobody else higher than Judah. So his verdict, Tamar's fate is sealed in his verdict. And he's already made up his mind. Let her be burnt. Verse 25. And when she was brought forth. She sent to her father-in-law saying, By the men whose these are, I am with child. And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet and bracelets and staff. Those three things were the pledge, were the token. And Judah acknowledged them. (laughs) He acknowledged them. When I see the blood, when I acknowledge the blood, he acknowledged the token and said, She had been more righteous than I. Now think of it. Tamar was brought before Judah for judgment. And Judah said, bring her and let her be burned. But when he pronounces judgment, he says she's righteous. <laughs> when the judge of the tribe of Judah is about to pronounce judgment on Tamar, he ends up justifying her. He says she's righteous, which means justified. Now justified doesn't mean forgiven. Brother Bynum said, if you'd heard that I went ahead, I was drinking and smoking, and then you found out that that wasn't true, you can't come and tell me, Brother Branham, I forgive you. He says, forgive me? I've never done it. So forgiveness is not applicable if somebody has never done the deed. It's about that justified doesn't mean to forgive. Justified means that what you're being accused of, you never did it in the first place. So what Tamar was accused of, of playing the harlot, of being with child through whoredom, she was never guilty of those things. Therefore, Judah say, you are more righteous. The judge ends up justifying her. The judge becomes her attorney. Why? Because she had a token. At token time, the judge is your attorney. If you have a token, the judge is your attorney. Now I'm going to turn one corner and I'm going to close. My, where did the time go? <laughs> now, in Exodus chapter 18, verse 29, verse 19 to 27. I'll, I'll, I won't read the whole thing to skip time for the sake of time here. But uh, Moses' father-in-law tells Moses, you know what? You're going to be so weary and tired if you keep judging all the affairs of Israel. I point men, well-able men that you can trust. 
Make them rulers of 10, rulers of 500, rulers of 100, and let them judge the people on all the simple matter. For every complicated matter, they will bring it to you. Right? It says, verse 23, And if thou shalt do this, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all these people shall also go their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought unto Moses. But every small matter, they judge themselves. Now here we see an early form of hierarchy in the administration of judgment. So instead of one man being the one who judges all things, Moses appointed men. He appointed men and gave each one of them jurisdiction to judge certain matter. But for the complicated matter, it was escalated to Moses. And such that Moses was the supreme judge over all the other judges. And now, our legal system follows the same principle. Is that there are issues that you can bring to a provincial judge, to a district judge, right? But there are certain issues that have to be escalated to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is where the Supreme Judge rules. So all the small matters, such and such can judge this, but if it's complicated, there can be an appeal. And it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, where the judge who's the highest judge, the highest authority of all the judges, would judge the matter. Set the slideshow. Hope the clicker works. Now, this is where Brother Tom ended on Sunday, and this is where I'm going to carry on. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> now, Brother says this. Can you see that? This is now. Why the old English judges down through the years used to be when they went into judgment seat, they'll put on a big white wig, snow white wig, because they were judges. And John saw him in the Lord's day when he was a judge, right? This is what he's referring to. Now, he says, just turn the picture. This is the original picture. Turn the picture from this, the way they had it, this away, the way it's supposed to be. He says, can you see it? He is the supreme judge. I saw seven angels come. Didn't left magazine packet as the fog of it floated across here, 27 miles high and 30 miles across, right? Is it not Fred Softman that Gene Norman and sitting back there, stood right there when them seven angels appeared right there on the hill, shook the hills for miles around, angels, and throw the sword in your hand, said, go home and open these seven seals. He's saying that that white weed one is the supreme judge. In the rising of senses, can you see his eyes? Can you see his nose? It's our Lord up there. Amen. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that we have come to the highest authority in the church. Supreme judge. Like Moses would be judged over all the other judges. Now we've come to Mount Zion to God, the judge of all. Right? And then he's saying that this judge, Jesus Christ, the supreme judge, came with a wig on to show his authority. And he says that he threw a sword in my hand. Interesting. The judge comes with a sword. A judge with a sword. Now a judge rules according to the book of the law. No one in Revelation chapter 10, when this mighty angel comes down, he has in his right hand an open book. 
He has a book open because he's the judge and he's about to judge according to what is in the book. And his judgment is based on the names that are in that book. His judgment is based on the title deed that's in that book. But now he says that he threw a sword in my hand. Now he takes me straight to Solomon. Solomon had once prayed for wisdom to rule the people of God. Now if you read that in 1 Kings chapter 3, I believe, this, after that event, God speaks to him in a dream. He says, I'll give you wisdom. Then he goes back in the temple, and the next day, two women come to Solomon disputing a baby. Now in this quote here, it says, the true mystery of marriage and divorce and the serpent seed and all these things that's been fussed about. The judge is coming to put an end to all the fussing about what has been taught. Serpent seed, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, marriage and divorce, this and that. Throughout ages, there's been a lot of fussing. A lot of arguing about who's right, who's wrong, which doctrine is right, which doctrine is false. The supreme judge comes to put an end to all the fussing. Now these two women were fussing about who was a real mother of the living baby. They fast and fast and fast and fast and argue and argue until they went to the king, the supreme judge, Solomon. And before he is able to pronounce his sentence, Solomon says, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. No wonder when this judge comes, he brings a sword and he gives it to the prophet because he's about to render judgment. And Solomon takes the sword and says, we're going to see between these two women, between these two churches, who has birthed the living child? Who has birthed the living word? Between these two churches, between denominations and the bride. Give me a sword and I'm going to rightly divide which one of these two women has the truth. He's about to vindicate which woman is telling the truth because he wants to put an end to all the fussing. So he says, cut the child in half. And the woman who didn't break the child said, yes, cut him. Cut him in half. If I cannot have him, she can have it. But the real mom says, please don't divide the word. Please don't denominate the word. Please don't inject your own ideas in the word. Please don't make this word a denomination. Keep the word pure. I want to preserve the word. Solomon said, you are the true bride. Because you want the word. Because you love the word. Because you cannot dislocate the word. Because you cannot misplace the word. Because you cannot misquote the word. That's the reason for the sword. Is to judge and vindicate the word of the day. To vindicate who has the truth. So that all this fasting can come to an end. See, when it comes to baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, I don't have time to fast about it anymore. The judge is vindicated to be true, and I stand by what he said. When it comes to serpent seed, let's not argue and fast about it. It's been vindicated. You want to argue about the cloud? Argue all you want. I have no more time for fasting about it. Solomon puts an end to fasting. The supreme judge puts an end to all the arguing about all these doctrines. It's thoroughly identified and thoroughly vindicated. Now, when Brother Balaam describes the sword, you can take that down. When Brother Balaam describes the sword of the king, he describes three things. He says the handle was pearl, the guard was gold, and the blade was silver. 
It says it in three different places, and it got me thinking, why? Why, why, why? When I began to look in the scriptures, is that pearl presents a precious stone. A pearl, a, a pearl, a precious stone pearl. And it's the word that is so precious. This word that has come down has to be handled with care. Because it's a precious word. And then the guard is gold. Pure gold. It's a pure word. Unadulterated word. Nobody injected his own thoughts and ideas into it. It says pure as gold. And then silver, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 12 verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace, purified seven times. Woo! Glory! This word is pure word as silver. That's why the, the blade was made of silver. That's why the handle was pearl. It's a precious word. It's a pure pearl. That's why the God is gold. It's a pure word. That's what you have today. The sword of the king. The pure word. Not mixed with man's ideas. Not a word that's hybrid like what the serpent gave to Eve. You have the pure word of God. The sword of the king. Now at talking time, the judge becomes the attorney. See, when Jesus Christ... Came and died for your sins. Brother Abraham says, God took it, took the matters in his own hands and came and satisfied the requirements of the law. So Jesus died for your sins to pay the price. Now, Adam fell in the garden of Eden and he lost something. Remember? The title deed, which we spoke about last time, Adam lost that title deed. And the title deed went back into the hands of God. Correct? And then the book, which is the title deed, was sealed. And no man could ever see what was in the book. See, we couldn't know what our inheritance was until the opening of those seals. We didn't even know what Adam lost really until those seals became open. People probed at it. But it's only in this last day that we have the fullness revelation of what lays in the atonement. It's only in this day that we know what lays in our inheritance. And we only know our rights because those seals came open. Now, if at talking time the judge becomes your attorney, and Revelation chapter 10, 1, is a supreme judge, he becomes your attorney once more. But why? He doesn't die for you. He already died for 2,000 years ago. The judge became the attorney, and he went to the cross and he died. Now, this is what struck me. I'm going to close with this. Brother says this. But now, in the seven-fold book of seals of redemption that the Lamb took within himself, he was the only one who could do it. He took it from the right hand of him that sat upon the throne to claim his redemptive, to claim his rights for me and you. What he redeemed us from. See, back to everything that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. He has redeemed us back to that. See, that's the reason John wept. Because if no one could get that book, all creation, everything was gone. So not only humanity was gone, but also creation was lost. Now, Adam lost the rights of that book. So he forfeited those rights when he listened to his wife. And she listened to Satan's reasoning instead of the word. See? But then he couldn't go back. It couldn't go back in the hands, in the dirty hands of Satan. So therefore, it went back to its original owner. See, like any abstract deed would do. So the book belonged to God. He gave it to men for dominion. Man lost it. It went back into the hands of God. But the book was for man. Now to get that book 
A price had to be paid. Which is what redemption is. It's to purchase back a property. It's to purchase back what belonged to Adam. So to purchase back the title deed, somebody had to come and pay a price. So the judge became the attorney to pay the price. And the price of the book was the blood. So the blood made way for the book. Without Calvary, there's no book. Without the blood, the land cannot claim your rights. So Calvary was the shedding of the blood for your salvation. Amen. And it was the shedding of the blood to pay the price to claim that book again. Because you and I couldn't claim the book. Now, if the Lamb claims the book, which we see in Revelation chapter 5, He comes, Brother says that, and there's a price, and that's redemption. There's the price of redemption, and nobody could pay it. So He made His own law, His own law of a kinsman redeemer. So God Himself becomes a kinsman redeemer. The judge becomes the attorney, and He takes on human flesh. To the virgin birth. And he shed his blood. It wasn't the blood of a Jew. It wasn't the blood of a Gentile. It was the blood of God. Now he says. Now it's redemption. Means all legal possession. To all that was lost. By Adam and Eve. Amen. So by paying the price of redemption. The son of God. Jesus Christ. Who is your attorney. Now has all rights to the book. But now he's claiming the book for you. So what's going to happen in this last day is that there's going to be a transfer of ownership from the hands of the one who claimed the book to the hands of the one to whom he gives the book. When you purchase a property, and I just went through that, is that you receive a title, and there's a lot of documents that have to go in this because the property has to be transferred from the one who currently owns it to now the new legal owner. Now, if you purchase the property, they will tell you, you need an attorney. The judge came in this last day, and he becomes your attorney. Why? Because he's about to handle some property transfer documents. He's about to handle some property laws. And you're going to need what is called a conveyancer. So it's an attorney who specializes in legal affairs when it comes to properties. You are going to need a lawyer, an attorney, who's going to do the paperwork and show you what you are now the owner of. So the judge came in this last day as your attorney to handle the title deed for you, to transfer the book from the hands of the lamb back to the people, to the sons of Adam again. See, the book was in the hand of Jesus Christ, the lamb. The book was closed. Revelation chapter 10 the book is open. And Brother Bob says he comes down and gives the book to his seven messenger who gives it to the people. Why is God coming with a book? He's about to give you back what is rightfully yours. What Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. The judge has come in this last day to become your attorney to transfer to you all the rights of the book and to show you that you are always the owner of this. Your inheritance is in the book. Without the opening of the word, you don't even know what your inheritance is. Without those seals being opened, you don't even know what your inheritance is. This is why the supreme judge came. This is why the lamb came and took the book. See, he came as the supreme judge. 
But when you look at it, what do you see? The Lamb of God. Jesus. The attorney. Because the Father has given all judgment to the Son. So it's the Son of God who is your advocate. Who is your attorney. Who comes and handles your rights for you. He's come to make this inheritance real to you. He's come to show you under the open book what is rightfully yours. See, the devil lied to humankind for 6,000 years. He lied to all the sons of Adam. But this day, God says, I'm going to show you what really is your right. So God has settled all legal dispute when it comes to your rights. See, the devil cannot argue with you when it comes to your rights because God has come as the supreme judge. Brother Adam says that the supreme judge is the absolute. He says that if there was no supreme judge, there would never be an end to trials. There will be a trial and another trial, another trial. But the supreme court is where the trial comes to an end. You have come to the supreme court. Where all the trial comes to an end. There's no more fasting with the devil. There's no more fasting and arguing one church after another church age, another other church age, fasting with the devil, arguing with the devil, arguing with the devil. God says, no, you know what? Let's escalate this. Let's go to the Supreme Court because I'm going to put an end to all disputes concerning your rights. I'm going to make it so crystal clear and I'm going to resolve all legal issues that the devil will have no leg to stand on. Now, if you know who you are, I'm trying to make you understand the legal claim that you now have. I'm not talking about the tribunal or the, the, the court of BC. I'm talking about the court of God. According to the court of God, according to the supreme judge, God has resolved all legal issues concerning your rights. So there's no more fussing with the devil. The devil can no longer argue with you when it comes to your God-given rights. It's the open of the book which shows you your God-given rights. What of our rights in adoption? Brother Obama says sonship. Godship. Oh my. Godship. To be like him. That was your right. See, we thought that we needed the Holy Spirit during the church ages. He told us, you know, denominations, you know, you need the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. You're weak, but he is strong and all those things. No, but they prevented us from rising to our full potential. Because they didn't even know that it was possible for sons and daughters of God to walk on the earth like Adam was. It's the opening of the seals that tells you it's possible. It's the opening of the seals that show you that the Holy Ghost doesn't stop at Calvary and be a son of God. But the Holy Ghost is to grow and become an adopted son. That you know what you are. That you know what your rights are. That you can fully claim your inheritance. Not just a baby, a babe born in Christ, but we can grow up and be sons and daughters again. Adopted sons and daughters again. That's what God has made you in this last day. That's why He sent a prophet in these last days to make you see what lays in our inheritance. Your healing is in your inheritance. Your family is yours. See, the devil is a bluff. He has no legal claim on anything that's yours. So if you're not happy with how the devil has been treating you, I say sue him. Take him to the Supreme Court and say, I know my rights. I would rather take the opinion and the verdict of the Supreme Judge. You know, if you go and see a doctor 
and then he does some examination on you and he says, you know what, I think you might have this, but I'm going to send you to another doctor because I want to have a second opinion. Right? You hear that? He's not too sure, but he wants to have another opinion that will make him feel a little bit better about his opinion. See, when it comes to you, you don't need to go to another opinion. You go to the only opinion that matters, which is the supreme opinion, the glory of God. Arise and shout for your glory has come. It's God's opinion. It's the verdict of the supreme judge. You don't have to settle for what the devil tells you. You can take it to the supreme court. EBA. If the doctor tells you something and you're not, you're not happy with what the devil, with what the doctor told you, take it to the supreme court. And the supreme judge will tell you, by my stripes, I will take that opinion over anybody's opinion. The supreme judge is also known as the absolute. It's the court of last resort. It's the court of the amen. It's the court of a true and faithful witness. You have come to the court of the amen. Where all his promises are yea and amen. There's no last, it's the court of last resort. Beyond this court, there's no other court. When the supreme judge speaks, his word is final. Nobody else can speak after him. Brother Darren, I'll, I'm just, I'll take some liberty to share something with you. I was pointing on this at the prayer meeting. You get the testimony of how you stood before the people and testify that God had delivered uh, your wife from the seizure. And the same day you testify, the devil jumps on one of your loved ones, right? And I began to think, my, that devil, he didn't want Brother Darren to have the last say. He wanted to speak after Brother Darren had testified. He wanted to speak. He wanted to have the last say. And I began to think, not so. We have come to the Supreme Court. When the Supreme Judge is the last one to speak. So I pray with all my heart that you will be able to testify one more time. For the last time. And after you testify, that devil will have nothing to say. Because you have come to the Supreme Court. Where your testimony is going to be supreme. Supreme. What God said about you is supreme. He's justified you. He's forgiven all your sins. And beyond forgiveness, He's removed all evidence against you. What He says about you is supreme. What He says about your family is supreme. Ye have come to the Supreme Court. Ye have come to Mount Zion. You have come to God, the judge. But that judge is your attorney to cross the mediator. That's what you've come to. To the spirit of just man made perfect. That's what the Supreme Court has declared. You are perfect. Rejoice in your promises. Rejoice in your inheritance. Ye have come to the Supreme Court. Where you can put an end to all strife. Is there still something you're fussing about? Put an end to it. You're not too sure whether you have the Holy Ghost or not? Put an end to it. Put an end to it. If you're tired of being under bondage of some demon spirit, put an end to it tonight. Bring that demon to the Supreme Court and say tonight is the end of all strife. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I'm not going to be up to date down tomorrow, up to date, up tomorrow, fasting and fasting. It's the end of all strife. If the devil wants to bring questions to your mind about your healing, put an end to it. Tonight is the end. You have come to the court of the amen. You have come to the court of last resort. You have come to the supreme court. 
with the supreme judge is your supreme attorney. Your children, they are yours. If you serve that, put an end to it. Show the devil legally, it's in my inheritance to have my children. Put an end to it. Glory to God. All right. Possess your inheritance. Possess what's rightfully yours. Because God in this day has showed you what was in the book. And he showed you his redemptive work. And that the blood made a way for your rights. Because of his blood, you have rights. They stand. Ye have come to Mount Zion. Ye have come to God. Who is the judge? And who is your attorney? Who is giving you back all your rights? Glory. Musicians, why don't you come? I say tonight, it's the end of all strife. Tonight, we're going to read after uh, case after case before the judge. And he's going to take his gavel. And he's going to say, grace, grace. Yes, that's the capstone. And when the capstone comes, it speaks. Grace, grace. That is the verdict of the judge. And he's found you sinless, guiltless. There's no lien against you. There's no lien against your inheritance. He's cleared the deed. He's paid the price through his blood. And Calvary, the judge, became the attorney to purchase your rights. On Sunset Mountain, the judge is your attorney to show you your rights. Glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, nature was lost. Not only humanity, but nature also was lost. See, now Jesus paid the price to redeem humanity back. Now, it's nature that's left. That's what the scripture says. Nature is groaning. Groaning. Because nature is saying like, come on guys. The price has been paid. And I need you guys to be restored. I need you guys to fully manifest that you really are the sons of God. So you can free us from this chaos. From this global warming, from these earthquakes, from these storms, nature is groaning, waiting for sons of God to come to the full manifestation. That's your calling. That's your privilege now. That's your calling. God has called you to be a full manifested son of God, to embrace your rights, to live like you understand who you are. Not a slave, not just a babe in Christ, but a full adult. Who's grown up to know who he is and where he stands? Arise, possess your inheritance. I feel like it's been a theme of the entire year because it's our year of jubilee. Fifty years. This is a year where Bible you get your rights, where you understand who you are, where each person here becomes a full manifested son. You don't have to live under your privileges. If you're not saved, look at Calvary. Not based on your works, based on what he did. Receive the Holy Ghost and grow in Christ and begin to claim your rights and begin to mature and understand that God has given you dominion. He's made you king and priest in your own domain. In your household, you're a king and priest. All the demons that come in your house are under your feet. Let's sing. Entangled, every chain of captivity.
supreme judge we have come to the court of the absolute the court of the amen the court of last resort the court that puts end to all strikes all fussing all arguing the token makes you so relaxed I feel relaxed I can rest in the promises of God there's no lean against me there's no claim against me Jesus cleared the deed the devil cannot come in court and say I want to testify all this evidence is inadmissible. You cannot enter this evidence. It's inadmissible. So in this court, he has nothing to say. If you have anything to say, speak now forever. Hold your peace. I have shut up. You have nothing to say. That's what it is. He has nothing to say concerning you. When Rahab was married to Solomon, there's no testimony against her. Because when Jericho was destroyed, it put an end 
do all the fussing, all the strife. Her past, her reputation, she was justified. Nobody could speak against her. Nobody's going to speak against this bride. Silence. Glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your word is what we love. And your word is what we preach. And your word is what we believe. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will punctuate His word in our souls tonight, Lord. And as we go back home, you will take that, what, that which was said and you'll make it more real as only you can, Lord. Father, we can preach all we want and read all the quotes we know how, but it takes divine revelation, Lord, to quicken the word to the people. I pray that the people of God will begin to march with the back straight, knowing who they are. Father, they will begin to claim what God has given them. And they will stop living underneath the privileges. That the devil will stop blocking them and pretending that he has any legal claim on them. Concerning our families, the devil has no claim. Concerning our healing, there's no claim. But we have a claim, oh God. We can claim your redemptive works because of a price that was paid 2,000 years ago. Lord, I pray if somebody here tonight doesn't know you as the attorney that you are, that tonight will be the night where they can enter in a client-attorney relationship. They can bring all the sins under the blood and they can receive the peace, the relaxation that comes with knowing that the judge is your attorney. Granted, Lord, go home with us, we pray, Lord. May we continue to meditate upon your word. Bring us back here on Sunday to rejoice more into a further revealing and unveiling of your word. Lord, tell us more. Tell us more. What is in our inheritance? What more do you have in store for us? Give us the word that we can become more like you. It's our desire. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 God bless you. You all dismissed.